everyone, and welcome to Jerry Talk, a podcast for modern caregivers juggling work, home, family, and kids, all while caring for an aging parent or loved one. I'm your host, Kelly Adams, a certified senior advisor and founder and CEO of Beyond Home Care. You know, we get how overwhelming and stressful life can be, especially when you're caring for an aging loved one. Jerry Talk is here to provide you with resources, tools, and support to encourage and equip you through this journey of caregiving. So my guest today is Margie Taylor, and our topic centers around caregiver burnout. Margie holds a PhD in counselor education and a master's in community agency counseling from Auburn University. She is a licensed professional counselor with the state of Alabama, as well as a licensed supervisor with the state. Margie has her certification in trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, and she owns the Well Counseling Center in Alexander City. Margie, thank you so much for being on our program today, and welcome to Jerry Talk. Thank you for having me. So I gave a little intro about you, but is there anywhere that you would like to fill in any gaps, either professionally or personally? No, you did a great job explaining everything, just adding that I really enjoy being a counselor in Alex City and treat a wide variety of life concerns. Great. So I mentioned our topic today is really on caregiver burnout. And that's a term that we hear often in kind of the caregiver world. But I'd like to kind of step back and give a good definition of caregiver burnout. So can you explain to us what that even means? Sure. And we are seeing an increase in caregiver burnout as we see a lot of adults caring for their aging loved ones. The more formal definition of caregiver burnout is that it involves a physical, emotional, and mental exhaustion. So essentially, it's affecting all areas of your well-being. Caregiver burnout can involve a change in attitude of that person from being positive and very involved about caring for their loved one. And then as the exhaustion sets in, you start to see more of a negative attitude and maybe even some just not being as concerned as they once were. The biggest thing about burnout is that it will happen when caregivers won't ask for additional help. They want to take that all on themselves and then they end up doing far too much. And with that comes some guilt because they feel that They need to just be giving all of their time and all of their energy to their loved one. And that if they do take that little bit of time for themselves, they feel guilty about it. Those who are burned out are going to feel that fatigue, that stress, some anxiety, and possibly some depression. You touched on the guilt. And I think that we hear that word a lot when when I'm dealing with caregivers, with clients, that guilt that I can't do anything for myself because I really need to be pouring into someone else. But, you know, one phrase that we use a lot in this industry is you can't pour from an empty cup. You do have to pour into yourself in order to pour into others. Uh, And so I think that it's important just to stop and emphasize that point when it comes to burnout. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Taking care of themselves is essential. And you're, you're absolutely right that if they don't take care of themselves, they're not going to have anything left to give. And that guilt comes from that thought of, I must, I have to, I should do this. And if they can change it to, I should take care of myself, that's going to change that, hopefully that guilt feeling a little bit. What causes caregiver burnout? Some of the causes of burnout involve just that role confusion because oftentimes you're taking care of a loved one and sometimes that loved one is your parent. And so it's hard to separate the role of being a caregiver and being a child or a daughter or son 
or maybe it, you're the caregiver of a spouse. And there's definitely some real confusion there of being the caregiver and being a spouse to that loved one. So that can cause some burnout. The other is just putting unrealistic expectations on themselves, thinking that they can do it all and they can do it all by themselves and just putting too much on themselves again. I know I've said that a few times, but that truly is a big factor in the burnout. Another one is just that lack of control in the situation of caregiving for um, a loved one. That may involve a lack of money, a lack of resources to help them care for the loved one, and just anything that goes into the the planning of, of caring for that loved one. Another is unreasonable demands, and that kind of ties into the unrealistic expectations, but just putting um, really unrealistic demands on yourself as the caregiver, meaning being available every minute of the day, every day. Um, and again, just being the only person that is caring for that loved one. And then last, many caregivers can't recognize when they're actually suffering from some of that burnout. And oftentimes, and that's why I want to definitely go over the signs and symptoms because those are like red flags, because oftentimes when they recognize it, it's late in the game. Mm-hmm. Do you find that these causes are more typical for women or does it matter across any caregiving? Yeah, you make a good point. I think it is much more common in women because women typically are the more nurturing of the two genders. Um, and women, I think, also tend to take on a lot and put a lot mm-hmm. on themselves, a lot of expectations. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking back to even my own self. There's definitely times where I put way more on myself than really anyone else expects. And so, you know, when you come into a caregiver role on top of that, I imagine that just the the overall sense of overwhelm and you talked about in the beginning, the fatigue that can set in. I can only imagine that sense of burnout. Yeah. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemy when it comes to that and that maybe it's not even other people putting all those expectations on ourselves, but that we put them on ourselves. And that's where that that guilt comes from. And then, like you said, the fatigue and just not knowing how you're going to manage all of that. It's one more person and one more thing that, Mm -hmm. that needs you. So you mentioned the signs and the symptoms. So what do we look for either in ourselves or in someone else that we know is a caregiver? And, you know, what are those signs of burnout? Yeah. And these are so key to talk about because this is actually can be a part of preventing burnout. Um, I like to call them, well, if we're talking about preventing it, maybe like your yellow flags. And then the red flags is when it's like you're fully in that state of burnout. So some of those signs um, is just withdrawing from friends, family, and other loved ones. This is very common when that exhaustion sets in, because if you're constantly pouring out, like you were talking about earlier, Kelly, you don't even have anything left to pour out into the people in your life. And that may sound strange because I think we hear a lot that, oh, go spend time with friends. That'll be really refreshing. But Mm -hmm. sometimes that can be exhausting too. So if you notice yourself or notice a friend pulling away, that's one of those kind of warning signs. Another is loss of interest in activities that you once enjoyed. And again, this is on the same lines of the whole exhaustion and energy. When you're that tired, you don't even have time to enjoy the things that you once loved doing. Those even feel like just one more thing you have to do or one more thing that's going to take the energy away from you. So that can be a pretty good indicator of being in a place of burnout. Third is feeling blue or down, maybe a little irritable, 
hopeless and helpless. All of these, again, come from just, if you think about burnout is almost like feeling like you're deep down in a hole and you don't know how you're going to get out of this exhaustion and out of this situation. So with that comes that helplessness. And you're going to notice that these, like the feeling blue and irritable are feelings, but the hopelessness and helplessness comes from those thoughts of when is this going to end? Or how am I going to keep doing this? I can barely get through today. How am I going to do all of this on my own? Those might be some of the places that you you notice that. Fourth is changes in appetite or changes in your weight or sometimes both. Um, This comes with forgetting to take care of yourself. When you're so into caring for another, you may forget to eat or you're out of your regular eating schedule. The opposite of that is that you end up eating too much as a way of coping with the situation because food makes us feel good. So that may be another warning sign. Fifth on the list is changes in sleep patterns. And think about sleep as it is an absolute foundational need in our bodies and minds. It is on the level of you have to have food, water, and you have to have sleep to keep functioning. So changes in sleep patterns may look like you can't fall asleep because your head is racing with all the things that you need to do, any kind of worries or anxieties. It may look like you're waking up multiple times in the night. It may look like you're not sleeping at all. And again, that's going to contribute to that exhaustion. Additionally, there's getting sick more often, and this is just because simply your immune system is broken down because you're so tired. So if you notice that you're picking up a lot more colds or little viruses, that's because it's probably a sign that your immune system is breaking down a little bit from the exhaustion. Another one that can be kind of scary is the feelings of wanting to hurt yourself or the person for whom you're caring for. And this is much more on the very extreme end of caregiver burnout and and definitely when you want to seek some help, but it's just when you're so exhausted and so done that you can't think of any other way out than wanting to do something to yourself or to another person. Could a precursor to that even be the resentment that can come from caregiving? Oh, absolutely. And those are things that you want to pay attention to is that if you start seeing yourself or hearing yourself, your thoughts of being resentful, you want to start seeking help when that comes in. And do you think sometimes people avoid asking for help in those situations because that can, for one, bring a lot of guilt that you would feel resentful towards the person you're caring for, but also there's some shame, I would think, in that? Yeah, it's the, I need to do all this myself and I don't want to burden anybody else with this. Mm -hmm. Or it's that if I can't do all this on my own, then I'm a failure. Mm. Or this is my job. I'm the child here. So my parents took care of me for all these years. This is the least I can do. It would be really disrespectful to my parents if I were to try and get somebody else like hire outside help or something like that to help. Yes, I hear that excuse a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a really, um, that's an unhealthy thought and very unrealistic because that's why we have wonderful places and um, organizations and folks like yours that can help us when we're in a place of taking care of another person. Mm-hmm. Any other symptoms of caregiver burnout that we should watch for? Emotional exhaustion just looks like oftentimes I see numbness where you just don't feel anything. Emotional exhaustion can also look like some more extreme anger and irritability. Like um, I like to think about it as a a fuse where your fuse was once 
much longer and now it's quite shorter and you're snapping at loved mm-hmm. ones and um, other minor situations. That's usually a pretty indicator of something underneath that. Do you find that we could just replace the word burnout with depression? Yes, absolutely. In fact, these warning signs very much mirror the diagnosis of depression. Yeah. And I think that that tends to be a scary word for a lot of people. And there's this thought that it's a lifetime of that label. I think that today in in society, it's becoming a little bit more normalized, which is good. But I also think that that word shouldn't scare somebody off of asking for help. Sure. Um, I'm so glad you you say that um, because depression does have this very much a negative stigma attached to it. Yes, we've come a long way, but depression is very situational or very environmental because of situations like this where you're caring for a loved one who is dying. Your body and your mind are naturally going to respond to that process, and that does look like depression. I love the way that you just said that because I think that that's key. It's, it's situational, and there's not a one-size-fits-all with burnout or depression. Yeah, it, it's going to look different in everyone because we're all built differently in terms of what our thresholds are for stress and you know just life issues that are happening. Just in adding to that, try not to compare yourself either. That was something that just came to my mind because I often hear, well, how is it that such and such can handle it so well and I can't? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Number one, you don't necessarily see them all the time and what it's like behind closed doors. And number two, it's just unfair to compare yourself to somebody else. You are you and that is perfectly fine. Let's just deal with how you yourself are coping with this. Yeah, I think that social media does not do us any favors when it comes to the comparison game. No, not at all. It's really dangerous for that, actually. But the depression, even if you feel like you are suffering from some depression, please don't think that that's going to carry with you for the rest of your life. It is definitely something that comes and goes at different points in our lives, and it's not a lifelong diagnosis. In fact, I encourage people to not look at it so much as a diagnosis, but just as a part of life. Mm-hmm. because we're going to experience sad and challenging and stressful things. For sure. On the same lines, you know, sometimes I, I feel like people hear this word caregiver burnout and don't see it as a real thing. You can't draw blood for depression or caregiver burnout or, you know, there's not a test really that you can run clinically. And so it, it's not a real serious situation. So tell us a little bit about some of the research behind caregiver burnout. Yeah, um, you're right. With as with any mental health concern, it's people look at it very differently than high blood pressure or diabetes. When in fact, it is just as real and just as um, important to treat as any other physical medical diagnosis. So, a little bit about what some of the research is telling us about caregiver burnout, and you know, if there's research out there on that, it means that it's happening, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it means that it's happening to enough people that we can conduct research on it. We mentioned this earlier, guilt. In one research study that was done here very recently, just in 2018, guilt was the most experienced feeling for caregivers, even more so than irritability or anger or sadness. It was just that guilt like Mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier. Another study talked about how people caring for those with dementia are at the highest risk for isolation and psychological distress. And that's because of the high demands of the illness and what it's it's doing to that caregiver. And again, that goes back to some of those warning signs. It's just feeling so tired that you don't even want to be around other people anymore. 
And also kind of, I mentioned this earlier, the not wanting to be around people is from the exhaustion, but it's also from the nobody else is going to get it. Right. I don't want to go and be around people that have no idea how hard my life is right now because it's just going to make me angry to see how great their lives are. Absolutely. So isolation can come with that. This other study talked about how caregivers often feel forgotten, alone, and abandoned to care for their loved one indefinitely. Because oftentimes there isn't a, I shouldn't say oftentimes, I mean, probably most of the time, there's not a timeline on when this person's illness is going to improve or you just don't know how long this is going to last. Right. And so in that, they feel very alone in that process. Yeah, I can see that. You know, that's one of the main reasons for Jerry Talk for this resource is just it seems like this is a stage in life. And unfortunately, it is a stage that a lot of caregivers will experience caring for someone who's aging, especially as baby boomers continue to age and live longer. We're going to find ourselves in caregiving roles. And we just don't talk about this stage of life as often. It's not as exciting as the birth of a child. Right. And it can bring forth some depressing topics. But I've always kind of erred on the side that knowledge is power. The more resources that you have at your hands or the more you we can talk about things, it takes some of the sting out of it and there's some understanding of what the progression would look like or the expectations. And so that's really the point of Jerry Talk. Some of the topics can be sad, but at the same time, understanding and knowing and having that resource, I find to be really helpful. Yes, 100%. That education goes such a long way. Yes, it is sad, but let's not pretend that it's not happening. Right. (laughs) That doesn't do us any good. You know, let's talk about how it is happening and what we can do to either prevent it or lessen its effects. And again, like I was saying earlier, it's happening so much that we're doing research on it. So that tells you that those of you that are suffering from it, you are not alone in this process and it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you lesser of a person. It makes you human because this is our bodies and minds can only take so much. Yeah, I think that's important. And I'm going to link some of that research and data below in the show notes just for uh, listeners or the ones that they need to see that research. Mm-hmm. And I think that brings a lot of validity to this topic. Yeah, yeah. It's that proof. It's not us just talking about it. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about ways that we can either prevent that burnout or we can treat and, and manage the burnout. So in reading these research studies, the number one thing that these studies talk about to prevent burnout is to ask for help. Please don't feel like you have to do it all yourself. Asking for help is the number one way to prevent this and be in allowing others to take on some of this burden that you're feeling. Letting yourself know and believe that you are not the only person responsible for taking care of this person. And I loved when I read this to kind of a reframe about asking for help. People like to help other people and do good things. So give someone else the opportunity to do something nice for you or to your loved one, because that in turn is making them feel good about themselves. Yeah. What do you think it is that makes us feel like we do have to do this all on our own and can't ask for help? You know, we we live in a society that is very individualistic. 
like there are other societies and cultures that take it on as families and as communities. Whereas I feel like here it is not necessarily preached, but it's just the unsaid, you got to do it all and and you better be good at it. Uh, So I think that's maybe part of where it comes from. Yeah. And maybe just reframing that, you know, I've always said that this is so random, but that I would be a really good sister wife because I really do feel like we are meant to do life in a community, not sharing the husband part, but you know, right. Doing life in a community and allowing other people to help you and to you to help other people. Yes, it makes so much more sense. It does make more sense. I mean, it really does. And I love what you said about allowing someone to to be a blessing to you and allowing the situation to bless them. In one of our last episodes, uh, we talked to Jenny Luttrell, and she talked about how her mom's friend would come and pick weeds out of a garden because it was something that the friend knew was important to her mom. It was a little way that she could help and be a blessing, and that it meant enough that it left a lasting impression for Jenny to talk about. And so I think that Mm -hmm. finding the space where someone is good, you know, we're not always the best at everything. And so if you don't like to cook, allowing somebody to cook a meal once a week it could be a real blessing for them. You know, a lot of us in the South, we like to show our mm-hmm. our love and food. And yeah. you know, that's just kind of a cultural thing for us. And so, and that's why we tend to bring food when bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Allowing someone to do little things for you. It's the asking for help that seems to be so difficult. If we can just get over that asking for help. Yes, yes. Because so much can come from doing that. And again, you've heard me talk a lot about thoughts. It's, it's so much in what we tell ourselves. So if we're telling ourselves, I have to do it all. And if I don't, then I'm not showing my love enough. That may be just one example. Reframing it to, you know what? Asking for help doesn't mean that I'm weak. It actually means that I'm really smart and I'm trying to let other people help and take care of myself at the same time. So just making sure that those things that you're telling yourself about seeking help or healthy thoughts and healthy self-talk is super important. Participating in a support group and having a good support network, this can look a lot of different ways. A support group can be a formal group in your community. I know churches have grief support groups or caregiver support groups and even other community agencies, not just churches. So it can look more formal or it can just look like you have a good support network of personal people in your life, whether those are friends or other family members that support you and you know give back to you in that type of setting. Mm-hmm. Next is to consult with professionals to explore your burnout issues. I think we also hesitate to even ask. It's not just about asking help from community members or family. We don't want to even ask for help from our doctors. Uh, yeah, There are so many stubborn people that don't want to go to the doctor. But please, when you start to, going back to those warning signs, if you start seeing those things, please, please reach out to your physician or reach out to a counselor because either of those people can really guide you in getting the help that you need. Yeah. And I think it's important too for people to realize that these professionals are not going to be judgmental. They're not going to question, you know, why you need help. This is something that is very normal. And I've always said that I think if everybody could go to counseling, then the world would be such a happier place because there's something with that, (laughs) you know, having a third party just to be able to talk to and to explore those concerns that you have. And sometimes even just when you say things out loud, you realize how ridiculous they sound. Yeah, I, I, again, I agree with you very much. Going to professionals, we're not going to judge you. We're going to validate you. 
we're going to tell you that you have reason to be feeling the way that you are and, and normalize things for you that you're human and that's okay. And you can only handle so much. So professionals can really support you in this process. I kind of touched on this one again about the support group. In those support groups, you can receive feedback. Also, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but with the support groups, you're surrounded by people that are experiencing the very same thing that you are. And that in itself can be very comforting. And then hopefully with that support group, you can learn some coping strategies to help you prevent the burnout or treat the burnout. Another is uh, varying the focus of caregiving responsibilities, if that's possible, if you have other people that can help you with the caregiving, uh, meaning just rotating out the types of responsibilities, anything from bathing your loved one to shopping for groceries, to cleaning, to feeding, and making sure that you're not always doing that one same thing and seeing if you can kind of divvy that out or vary it. Yeah, I like to look at this like as a care team, because I think it's mm-hmm. really important, like I said before, to think about what you're really good at. And it's like there's an 80-20 rule that someone else can do 80% as good as you. You should delegate that. And and you can think of that, even though we use that a lot in a work setting, in a care team setting as well. So buying groceries or going to the pharmacy to pick up medications, those tasks, it may just be that somebody needs to be given that responsibility. Yeah. And so if you've got a brother or a sister or an aunt or, you know, whoever who wants to help or just needs a job, then this is a good job for them. Those things that you really don't have to be in the middle of. It doesn't seem like it's much, but it's one more thing kind of spinning around in your head and on that caregiver. Yeah. That delegation of tasks is so crucial. And yes, the little things add up. It's one less errand or one less task you have. And I remember when my husband and I, we were caring for his father who had dementia, we would rotate out on feeding him meals. Maybe I would do it for two nights in a row and then he would come in and give me a break and I'd go do something else. But that was to kind of help us find some balance and not doing the same Mm -hmm. thing for nights straight because you just get, you get tired. And it's just, frankly, it's, it was sad to watch. So helping each other out in that way. Yeah. Exercising. um, I'm I'm sure everybody hears about it a lot, but making time to exercise and just maintaining a healthy diet as much as possible. I think people often think about exercising and healthy diet in this extreme way. Like I've got to go out there and I've got to jog for miles or, you know, I can only eat salads. That's not what we're talking about. It's just like getting outside and walking for a few minutes can count as exercise. Getting that fresh air Mm -hmm. and just moving a little counts for exercising. Healthy diet that can look in a lot of different ways. Maybe eating fast food one less time that week. You know, maybe choosing one vegetable more a week. You know, so try and think about that in very realistic ways for yourself. Or even just staying hydrated and making sure that you're drinking enough water. Yeah, very simple things like that, but that make a difference in your overall well-being. Next is establishing a quiet time. And again, this is so that you can have that downtime to recharge your batteries. It's crucial. This can look in lots of different ways. This can look like a quiet time of meditation. It can look like prayer. It can look like reading a book. It can look like laying down and taking a nap, but just making sure that you 
have that quiet time for yourself. Spending time with friends. Again, this is just kind of getting yourself away from that environment of caregiving and being around a different environment. Staying involved in hobbies. And again, I think people think, oh, well, I've got to go do this big thing when we talk about hobby. I've got to go fishing or I've got to you know, do a huge gardening task. These can be really small things when we talk about hobbies and simple, like think about it more simplistic terms. Yeah, I have some clients right now that we see and we only go in once a week for a few hours so that the wife can get away to her bridge game. She can recharge her batteries and do something that she loves and enjoys outside of the home and away from caregiving. Yes, it's wonderful. It just, it breaks that cycle. It breaks it up. And again, it's it's refilling that picture to where you can go back and continue to give. And that's a perfect example of how a hobby can look. Mm -hmm. We talked about sleep again, making sure that sleep is a priority. I I can't preach it enough, but sleep is just so, so crucial to our overall being. And if you make nothing else a priority, try and make that sleep because that's going to be the biggest area where you get recharged Mm -hmm. is allowing your body and your mind an opportunity to rest. And again, a physician can really help you with this if you're at a point where you just can't relax and you're just so on edge. I'm not pushing nor encouraging medicines, but understand that there are medicines out there that can help with that if you're at a place where you can't do it on your own. Taking time to laugh, again, such an important thing. There are lots of studies out there actually about laughter and about just the simpleness of a smile because it can greatly improve that mood and get you out of that sense of sadness or maybe anger or hopelessness that you're in. Seeking spiritual guidance, if spirituality is something that's important to you, seeking out your pastor or other spiritual leaders that can help you out. And then journaling. Journaling can be a way of, uh, journaling can serve lots of of purposes, actually. Journaling about your experience as a caregiver can give you an outlet to talk about it when nobody else seems to understand or you don't feel like you can talk to anybody about it. Well, journal it out. So it very much can serve as a release for you. Mm -hmm. I love that. I want to talk specifically about the seeking out the professionals um, and go back to the counseling because, you know, one of the things that I really want to accomplish with Jerry Talk is just to pull back the curtain a little bit, let people understand, I guess, the process I want to talk a little about counseling and what counseling looks like. Tell us a little bit, like, what could someone expect in a counseling session? And I I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about it because, again, I think counseling has been stigmatized and we see how it looks in TVs and movies where somebody's laying out on a couch and somebody's got a a counselor as a clipboard and they're taking notes. Well, I can assure you it doesn't look anything like that. Counseling is just simply a safe place to come and talk about what's going on in your life. Counselors are not there to analyze you and definitely not there to judge you. Counseling is very much catered to what it is that you need. You're going to come in there and say what it is that you need to get out of this process and that counselor is going to help you get there and help you get to a place where you can cope and hopefully feel better. Counseling typically lasts about an hour each time you come in and how often you come in is really up to you. It can be something as frequent as once a week. It can be something like you're just going to come in once a month to check in. That's really up to you. Let's hit some stigmas real fast because I know that people are thinking some of these things and I always find it best <laughs> to lay it out there. So 
they always blame the family, right? You know, that you have to, again, lay on that couch and tell about your childhood and how horrible it was and blame the mom. So is that a part of therapy? No, absolutely not. It's not about putting blame on anybody else. It's, it's not about necessarily going back and exploring your childhood. Much of the time, counseling is focused on the present moment and getting you to a better place. So no, it's it's definitely not about that. Yeah. And then only crazy people go to counseling. Oh, yeah. Love that one. <laughs> no. Um, and I, <laughs> I, I've heard it so many times and I, I honestly, and I think you made mention of it earlier, I think everybody should go. I, I mean, yeah. it, it's such a wonderful process because it's time for you. Think about that too. When was the last time you had an hour to just focus on you? Yeah. I mean, that's what it's really about. And it's helping you to become a better person. It's not going to help you become a worse person. That's for sure. Counseling's for life. Most of the issues that I see in my office are because life has happened and that we are human and we can't do it all on our own. It's not because we're crazy. It's because we're human and nothing, nothing more than that. Yeah. I was just thinking, we put a lot of effort and energy into like physical health. We go to our checkups, mm. most of us. We take our vitamins. <laughs> if we're gaining some weight or we need to lose some weight, you know, we, we watch all those physical things. Blood pressure is high. We make sure that we're taking our medicine. Mental health, we just don't pay attention to in the same way. Right. And it's such a shame because much of our mental health actually determines her physical health. I mean, if you think about the stress and the mental burden that caregiving causes, think of all the physical things that come from Absolutely. that. Yeah. So treating these mental health concerns like caregiver burnout and the depression and anxiety that can come from that, you actually may be preventing yourself from the other physical symptoms that may be happening like higher blood pressure and um, fatigue. Mm -hmm. What are some tools or resources that if these caregiver burnout items are kind of striking a chord with you, or maybe there's someone else in your life that you say, wow, this may really be going on with this person. You know, what are some things that they can do? What are some resources? So um, number one, involve a professional. Really encourage them to seek help and let them know that it's safe and it's okay. So if that involves speaking to a physician or to a counselor, that would be my biggest recommendation. Also, other resources. Look for resources in the community. You'd be surprised at some of the support groups that exist in your community, even in some of the smaller ones, and seeking out those support groups or networks where you can connect with other people. And third is just finding some solid coping strategies. And that really looks mostly like self-care mm -hmm. and taking those small opportunities to allow other people to help you to get some downtime or some quiet time and to just do some things for yourself. Yeah. In a lot of areas where either maybe professionals are limited, I'm starting to see a lot of this on demand or online counseling services, someone that you can text even or have virtual therapy sessions with. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, this is something um, exciting and new in, in our in our field, the most exciting thing about the online counseling is its accessibility. Um, that for those of you that are limited in terms of what's available in your area or how far you can drive or even getting out, this is a wonderful resource that you can do from anywhere. I'm not as familiar with what is available mm -hmm. at this point, but I know that very much that you can do a simple Google search and find those who are trained and available to provide those kinds of services. Yeah. And even from a support group standpoint, you know, there's Facebook now, there's tons of groups that you can join. And I mean, obviously, 
obviously be wary of finding the right group for you, but some of those areas can be really good supportive options for people. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Um, that yes, that's an ac- excellent idea because it's just again connecting with people who get it and who understand what it is that you're experiencing. Yeah. Well, Margie, I really appreciate you taking time to join us today on Jerry Talk. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Hey, thanks for joining us today on Jerry Talk. Subscribe to Jerry Talk so you never miss an episode and share it with other caregivers who could use the encouragement and support. Join us next week for another great episode. Until then, have a great week.